Hi everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rurkraut. Fasten your seatbelts, it's going to be a bumpy episode today as we talk about two of Joseph L. Mankiewicz's films, A Letter to Three Wives and All About Eve. With these two films, he actually won Best Director and screenplay at the Oscars, a feat that has not been accomplished since. So I'm excited to dig into both of these today. It'll be a great discussion. Another one of Hollywood's favorites, Joseph had such a long career, I think based on Herman, we've talked about Mank before. He obviously is related to Citizen Kane. Funny that both brothers won screenplay at the Oscars. But I think it's fitting for Joseph to have won for these movies. They're both very observant of their times. And I think to have won back-to-back years is also an amazing feat. They're such different movies, and we'll get into each of them. Yeah, All About Eve is one of the greatest of all time. And that is Mm -hmm. discussed everywhere. It's not underrated in any way, but it is one of the best classics we will ever get. And it is still as meaningful today as it was way back then in 1950. I completely agree. So what we'll do today, we will talk a little bit about who Joe Mankiewicz was. So you mentioned his connection to his brother Herman Mankiewicz, who we discussed on our Mank episode when we talked about Citizen Kane. So you should have good background on him. But we'll talk about Joe, his life, how he got into film. And then we will talk about these two movies and how they did at the Oscars, their legacy. Like you said, they're very different. But A Letter to Three Wives and All About Eve have some fascinating similarities. So I think it'll be fun to get into those. And it's funny because so we've talked about doing an episode on All About Eve for so long and I was in our Google Drive like looking because I knew we had an all about Eve kind of rough outline. Mm-hmm. We originally planned to do this episode in May of 2020. So it has been a long time coming. <laughs> I think you know for a movie that I love so much and I think has so much just historical weight to it. I don't know. I think I was kind of scared to cover it a little bit. It's a very daunting task. So hopefully we do it justice. Well, that would have been season one. That would have been a strong start for us. <laughs> it would have been a rough episode probably <laughs> too. <laughs> Was that pre-mic? I don't even know. <laughs> I'm glad we waited, safe to say. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. It surely would have been a bumpy night. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Addison DeWitt would have just like sat in the corner and scoffed at us like who are these people this is not not right (laughs) anyway getting into Joseph L. Mankiewicz a little bit so he's the younger brother of Herman J. Mankiewicz or Mank and Herman Mankiewicz actually brought him to Hollywood when he was 19 so he was very young that's kind of how he got started he got contract work originally as a writer with Paramount and this wasn't like screenwriting like you might think of it this is you know writing titles writing dialogue stuff like that he's not immediately out of the gate writing his own screenplays he was an intellectual he was very into plays i think he and herman both considered theater to be the highest art form so not movies and that makes sense for the time period i think it's very different today how we think about film but back then both of these brothers definitely held theater 
the highest regard, which certainly comes up in All About Eve. So I'm excited to talk about that. But then he goes into have this long-term contract at MGM. And when he's there, he did great work, but he really wanted to direct his own screenplays. And of course, Louis B. Mayer, I say of course, thinking most people know about how Louis B. Mayer was. I think that the depiction in Mank is actually pretty close to the mm-hmm. stories that we get about L.B. Mm-hmm. Mayer and the kind of person and leader he was at MGM. But Joe wanted to direct his own screenplays and Mayer wouldn't let him. He made him a producer instead, but he hated being a producer. So he got pushed out of MGM. And this is really important because that's what gets him to 20th Century Fox, where we get all of these big movies from Mankiewicz, like A Letter to Three Wives and All About Eve. Back to MGM. Maybe this was part of it. Maybe it was just that he was upset. But other sources also say that he was fired because of his affair with Judy Garland. And she was an MGM property under Louis B. Mayer. And her affair with Joe, he had told her not to do Meet Me in St. Louis because it was so akin to so many other characters, women that she had played before, this Valentine that was in love with this guy who didn't notice her and blah, 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 and happily ever after. So she was bored by that, and he convinced her to say no. Obviously, Mayer put her in the picture. This is a classic to this day, probably more so than those other earlier pictures. But again, Joe was fired, made it to Fox, but also at MGM, he was a producer on The Philadelphia Story, other movies that are classics that he was in his 20s when he did this. Like, I can't even imagine. Yeah. You know, it's great that he was brought in so early by his brother because he was given time to cook and to, like, get used to the studio system, get used to this world and develop as the writer, producer, filmmaker that he became. But yeah, to make some of these films in your 20s, to make decisions like this, it's it's mm-hmm. crazy to think about. And, you know, hitting his stride in his early 40s, too. Like, that is, that's pretty young, especially for back then, I think, to be making movies with such an impact. I feel like whenever you hear about MGM stories, there are always so many. I love hearing stories from this time period because there's just so much scandal. (laughs) And Mayer feels always at the center of it. Oh, yeah. Joe still spoke highly of Louis, which was nuts. But he also said that he was a horror to work with, which I can totally understand. That scene in Mank where he convinces the entire cast and crew to cut their salaries by half. And not just doing Mm -hmm. it on his own is such a power move. So that I can believe. But yeah, once Joe gets to 20th Century Fox, Ernest Lubitsch got sick. And so Joe stepped in and that's where he got his first directing picture with Dragon Wick. And from there directed 26 pictures in 20 years. Again, an incredible feat. (laughs) And then Oscars, awards in back-to-back years, multiple years. So... He may not be one that we always talk about, but I think throughout has some incredible movies, some smaller ones. I haven't seen many. I'm sure you can speak to more of his career. The Barefoot Contessa. He has Cleopatra. He did Julius Caesar. He's done so many different types of movies, too, which we always like some variety. Well, you need to be very grateful that we are not watching Cleopatra. (laughs) I will... I will tell you that. So I've heard. (laughs) 
<laughs> Have you seen the runtime of Cleopatra? This is, of course, for listeners, the Elizabeth Taylor over-budgeted, over-long sure epic. Three-plus hours, yeah. 248 minutes. Holy hell. <laughs> it was a budget disaster, too. I mean, it won awards, but it took forever to make. So I can only mm-hmm. imagine. Yeah. it's an It's an experience. I have actually never made it through to the end (laughs) (laughs) which maybe is bad on my part one day i can do it but Mm -hmm. yeah it hasn't happened for me yet julius caesar i don't know if you would enjoy that one as much either but it does have marlon brando in it as caesar so Mm -hmm. you might be interested in that um i do like the ghost and mrs muir one that he did that one's a fun one Although if I were ever visited by the ghost of Rex Harrison, I would not entertain him. I would run or move away. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, a great career. And I think these two in particular really show him at the peak of his powers and the types of films that he was so good at making. He loves depicting class struggles. I'm always shocked every time I watch his films how incisive his commentary is on the time period we are working in the industry he's looking into and also for a man he really understands women like the way he captures female friendships is fascinating Mm -hmm. just the details the nuances there and i think he's an actor's director maybe a writer's director first and foremost i think the writing definitely is what stands out to me when i think of his films but I mean, fabulous performances in both of these, for sure. I think to win Oscars in back-to-back years is fascinating, but also to win for female-dominated movies, especially Mm -hmm. in the 40s and 50s, is unheard of. So there are lots of feats happening, and these women are very complex. Some are depicted in positive and negative ways, but I think it's just, again, a depiction of how these industries work. And to do that with women, I think, is more telling... And to have the men in the passenger seat is a much more appealing ride to go on. Oh, 100%. Like, it's so refreshing to watch a film from this time period that is successful in big categories at the Oscars that is about women. Usually these women's stories like Stella Dallas, they're relegated to best actress. You don't see them... Mm winning over everyone that's for you know the war films or the films with gary cooper at the front so yeah this was a welcome change i think i mean not winning any acting categories is Mm. horrible but we can get to that well right it's like for especially for all about eve it's like of course the man is the one who wins Mm -hmm. (laughs) yep so getting into a letter to three wives this was from 1949 description A letter is addressed to three wives from their, quote, best friend, Addie Ross, announcing that she is running away with one of their husbands, but she does not say which one. It stars Jean Crane, Linda Darnell, Anne Southern, Celeste Holm. She's uncredited, but she is the voice of Addie, and she'll show up later in All Out Eve. This won Oscars for Best Director and Best Adapted Screenplay and was nominated for Best Picture. In Best Picture, All the King's Men won with Battleground, The Heiress, and 12 O'Clock High also being nominated. So what do you think of this movie? I really love this movie. I'm going to start, I'm not going to compare it to All About Eve right away because I think that's a losing game. Just viewing it by itself, I think that it is a fascinating film for 
what is a transitional point in Hollywood? We are thinking right now about post-World War II, which is a time of prosperity um, in the United States, but also it's a time where um, people had a lot of questions about where we were going, about their identities, people coming back from war where they had much different responsibilities and positions. And it was certainly a time of fear, both with what was happening in the world, but also economically. It's a film that really captures that time period, um, but it, it also shows that Hollywood is moving forward. It feels like this movie is made for a very sophisticated audience, which I really like and love that it's about women. I think that the performances are great. This is where I think you can first see Mankiewicz's prowess as a director, specifically his love for the flashback. And I really love the flashback structure here. I think it works very well to dissect these three relationships that we have with the three women at the center and their partners, their husbands, and this sort of ghostly figure (laughs) who hovers above with a fantastic voiceover performance by Celeste Holm. I actually, she gives my favorite performance in the film and we don't even see her. (laughs) (laughs) which I don't mean as a dig at all. I just, I'm obsessed with this voiceover and you know me, I normally hate voiceover. Mm -hmm. So this, I think it works very well here. I think it's just the type of film that I have always appreciated. And it's one I hadn't actually seen until a few months ago, whenever I'm home in Ohio, visiting my family, my mom and I will spend at least an entire day watching two to three new to us classic films and this was one that we really loved so I know you don't feel the same way about this and I'm prepared for that which is fine but what did you think of this movie yeah I wanted to stay away from comparing it to all about Eve because this came first the world didn't have that yet it's almost like this was a stepping stone for what he was developing in that later film and I like the complexities I think both of these premises but this one is so intriguing. I don't know if it's too mischievous and catty of Addie to be doing this, but it is one that focuses your attention very quickly. I got a little lost in between, but I didn't dislike it. I guess a question I would have for you is, how do you feel about the characterization of the three women separately, either in their relationships or just of their own? Because I found some to be maybe a little too simple and then maybe a little too like over the top. Yeah, I think so first, like going back to Addie and like thinking of her as like mischievous or catty, like yes. And I I think though that's so much of the time and it also makes sense again why I like it as someone who loves Gone Girl and love Desperate Housewives. Like this feels very much like the early blueprint for Mm -hmm. what was to come with how voiceover worked. But yeah, I actually find the women to be very complex and I think that's partially due to Vera Kaspari her treatment so she did an adaptation of this story that was in Cosmo that was called A Letter to Five Wives so there are originally five when Joe took it on he made the screenplay about four marriages and then they had to whittle it down to three so imagine first if this is about five different marriages Mm -hmm. I think that would be a lot and could be more confusing But I think if we are thinking about the ways in which women lived at this time in 
the States after World War II, but also how Hollywood viewed women. I, I think the characters are pretty unique in that he understood, he seemed to understand, and Vera Kaspari did, of course, too, what women were going through after the war. So you have Rita, who's played by Anne Southern, who I think is unusually sympathetic for a woman who works outside of the home at the time. I find that to be quite fascinating and showing that we're moving in a different direction in women that Hollywood wants to put on screen. And then you think of the character Deborah, who's played by Jean Crane, who was nominated this year, by the way, for a movie called Pinky, which you should definitely stay away from. She's struggling because she had responsibilities during the war, and now she doesn't have them anymore. And you think about, like, okay, what can that do to a person when they have some sort of job at a particular time, and then all of a sudden they don't have it anymore? And I think that the class struggle definitely comes in with these two, but with our third wife, Laura May, Linda Darnell, who I told you, I think I teased on a previous episode that I love Linda Darnell, that's where comedy comes through, but you also definitely see the class struggle with her family first and foremost and the way that she interacts with and has relationships with men and how that power dynamic works so I feel like her relationship is the most pointed of the movie I'm going to compare to All About Eve for a second which is that I think that All About Eve is much sharper throughout whereas the sharpness of Three Wives is in the Addie character and the Laura May character specifically. Um, But I love what it has to say about relationships and class here. And I think that showing it through these three women is new and definitely interesting. But what I really love is that when they get this letter, which is so just, it's very film noir-like, but also feels like a women's picture, which is very different. It's that the letter from Addie doesn't make these women fearful of their relationships with each other. It actually forces them to look inward and to look at their relationships with the men in their lives. So I like that. I think that's very inventive. And we would have run into a lot of problems with the movie. And honestly, I think if they even remade this today, this is what would have happened. It would have just been this like stupid catfight between these women and I would have hated that so much but I love that it it actually makes them think about their relationships and how they work with the men in their lives as opposed to doubting the female friendships in their life the friendships they have Mm -hmm. with each other so that's how I, I guess I think about the women I don't necessarily find them to be simplistic I think that they're sort of distillations of class differences class struggles at the time and how relationships tend to exacerbate those struggles. Mm-hmm. I guess my comments, one from Deborah, who like one of the first lines we see from her is she's like, oh, you got this magazine and it was the same color of the same dress that Addie has and runs out the door and slams it. I was like, okay, we got to calm down. If you want it, you would an be annoyed by her. <laughs> that was too much, too fast for me. Yes. I loved Rita mm-hmm. and Laura May, revisiting Lady Bird. She was from the wrong side of the tracks. Loved that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if that's where Greta got it from. I don't know. The way she plays with Porter felt unauthentic to some degree. 
because I feel like we can see that she's smarter than like, oh, come on to me. You have to come on to me so much that you want to be this man who opens my door and walks me to my car and doesn't kiss me on the first date. And it felt too menacing of a character than who I thought she was. Oh, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I think it's kind of funny. In the end, she backs off because of the letter and thinking back through everything. But she had some of the best lines, some of the best like reactions, facial expressions of the group. Mm-hmm. She was the most intriguing. Yeah, definitely. A fun story about her that I read is that she hated Otto Preminger, the director. And one of my favorite things about this movie is that we never see Addie Ross at all. I think mm-hmm. that speaks to Mankiewicz's direction, his instincts. I love, love, love that. But... Mank, what he did was in some of the shots where you can see like the picture frame and you kind of try to lean somehow, even though you know that's not going to work, to be able to see Addie Ross. In one of the scenes with Linda Darnell, in the picture frame, Mank put a picture of Otto Preminger (laughs) to elicit a reaction of like hatred and disgust and fear from her. Oh, God. (laughs) And I sort of love the ambiguous ending. You don't really know you don't get this sort of resolution where Addie Ross like comes to confront them or writes them some final letter spelling everything out like I I love that I love that you're sort of left to think about what it all means what these women experience together and with their husbands Mm -hmm. well she kind of comes back and she like tips the glass over with the voiceover happening Mm -hmm. I didn't really love that it was a little cutesy but I do think this is a good post-World War II film where mm-hmm. you have that psychological trauma really from the women who stayed back. I don't know if they address if any of the men fought in the war, but even if they didn't, I think that helps the case where these women were here having their lives. Rita is out working as this radio personality. And then for the men to come back and they have to reintegrate their lives with them I think is a better perspective and concept to take on a movie, especially in this time period when we're getting so many about PTSD or, you know, post-war. You know, we talk about the best years of our lives all the time, and that was only Mm -hmm. a couple years earlier. So it is a good flip, I think, as we're entering the 50s and a different time period. I really like that comparison, too, because in that film you have three men and you're seeing their different experiences after the war and revolving around class, which I did not put that together until right now. And I'm sort of embarrassed because I love that movie, but that one I think is far superior to this one, even though I obviously like always prefer movies with women over movies about men. I do think that the direction in the best years of our lives is more emotional. It's stronger, but I could also just prefer Weiler mm-hmm. to Joe Minkowitz. That's totally possible. So getting into a few questions from listeners. Now we have one from Owen Daly. They asked, why do you think none of the three wives cast were nominated men or women? It's weird because I almost just want to say, I don't know. I'm so stumped by this. I've always been confused by this because When I watch this movie, I assume that this is one where all three of the women get nominated. And again, if I could 
nominate one performance, I would nominate the uncredited Celeste Holm just for her voice work because I think she is she has such this like delicious, wicked femme fatale voice and she's just so like bitchy and great at this part. It's wonderful. Her line readings are tremendous. So I mean, that's probably against the rules of the time, but I would have absolutely given her a Best Supporting Actress nomination. Weirdly enough, she was already nominated. So I think that's mm-hmm. part of it is that we have Celeste Holm, who's nominated for Come to the Stable, which I know I've mentioned before to you, that, and I know it's one you've never seen, but Come to the Stable really had a chokehold on the actors. I mean, Loretta Young, Celeste Holm, and Elsa Lanchester all got nominated, so... That was happening. Pinky also had a hold with the actors. So there's Jean Crane right there. She's nominated for Best Actress. But then Ethel Barrymore and Ethel Waters were both nominated and supporting. Mm -hmm. That's six out of ten right there. That's crazy. And two of the women are in this movie. I think Linda Darnell could get in and should have gotten in. But a problem we have here, too, is that we almost have the opposite problem today, which is that studios want big actors in supporting because they can win but then like supporting they almost viewed as some sort of like diss to them they were like we're better than that we're leading leading ladies we need a best actress nomination and with an ensemble cast i wonder like how frequently that can happen unless the movie is a juggernaut like all about eve which we'll get to the men i feel like it's a movie about women and There are just too many of them. It's like you have three and three. If I had to pick a man to nominate, I would pick Kirk Douglas. But he was also nominated for Best Actor. At least here he could have been nominated twice, but probably Mm -hmm. the one was enough. I'm not sure how back in those days if there were many that got nominated in both. Back then it was so different because supporting and lead were so much based on your star power at the time and not your screen time or where the studio wanted you to win. So it probably wouldn't have happened because he's already too big. Yeah. And I do agree that Linda Darnell would be my pick and it would be for supporting. Surprisingly, we haven't mentioned any of the winners yet. The winner for best actress was Olivia de Havilland for the heiress. This was her last nomination and her second win. And then Mercedes McCambridge won for all the King's men, which like we mentioned earlier, was a Best Picture winner as well. Yeah, Olivia de Havilland's win for The Heiress is my favorite win of the 40s. It's a great win. And her competition was very strange. Like, Deborah Carr, I love, but Edward, my son. Nick, I'm telling you, like, never watch (laughs) some of these these movies. movies. (laughs) Come to the Stable, Pinky in particular, My Foolish Heart, yeah, this is gonna, it will be rough for you. But The Heiress, you should definitely do. It's a fantastic Weiler film. And Montgomery Clift is in it. Right, right, right. We have, I do remember you talking about this now. You might like All the King's Men. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. I was going to ask what you thought about it. And we can get to another Twitter question of, would you have given Three Wives Best Picture over this movie instead? I would have given Best Picture to The Heiress if I had to pick from the five. But I think I still would have gone with The Letter to Three Wives over All the King's Men. Oh, wow. Okay. But I really like this movie. It's it's a favorite of mine. A new favorite of mine, for sure. A letter or All the King's Men? A letter. Okay. Not All the King's Men. <laughs> okay. Our next question comes from Cesar Award winner Baby Annette. Would you give Manx letter Oscars to somebody else knowing he'd win the next year? 
Well, I think being a split year is very interesting. So the fact that he won, I think, is high praise in director. Mm -hmm. In screenplay, I could go against the grain and give it to Bicycle Thieves. I know that's a huge Italian neorealist classic by Vittorio De Sica. He was not nominated for director. But I think knowing that he'd win for All About Eve, maybe I would give it to somebody else in screenplay. I feel like you'll say you'd give it to Weiler for director. Am I right? This I had a lot of trouble with this, but I would actually keep his Oscars here. Like I think he deserved them. I mean, I, I love the heiress. I do. But when I think of the heiress, I think of Olivia de Havilland. I guess when I think of Mrs. Miniver, I also think of Greer Garson. <laughs> but I feel like Weiler, his direction there, like I'm happy he won there. I think that makes sense. I love Weiler's director win for the best years of our lives. So I don't necessarily feel like I need to give him his third director win here knowing it's going to come later for ben-hur like i'm totally fine with the way that his career shakes out as far as oscar wins go Mm -hmm. and i love mankowitz's direction here i think it's really smart and it forces film ahead in a way and i think yes part of that is due to the types of films that i like but to create this women-led ensemble where you are just hooked from the very beginning. He has this great way of working in flashbacks, of deploying this voiceover when he needs to that I I really love. I think it's it's a really smart and well-directed film, so I would keep that mm-hmm. for him. I would keep his screenplay win. I think his screenplay win is strong, but I would add a credit and give Vera Kaspari her Oscar because I think part of the reason the women are really well written is because of her treatment of the story. So I would give it to her as well. Definitely. So how do you think today's Academy would receive this? I mean, unfortunately, I feel like the Academy wouldn't go for it in the same way that they did back then. I could also see it performing really similarly as just getting the big nominations and not performing well anywhere else. But I feel like if it was made later, so if we're thinking about the question in that way, like if this were remade today, how would the Academy receive it? I think they wouldn't take it seriously, unfortunately. Its critique of class is really smart, but you have to think about it and be looking for that and not be distracted by the fun stuff that's there. And I feel like today audiences would try to make this some soapy, pulpy, romantic comedy. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. It has to be remade in a classy way still. If it's done with younger actors, actresses, I feel like the technicals are pretty much washed away and it's going to be more of that cat fight, like you mentioned earlier. Lots of tension, but unless it's made with huge actors, it's almost like a Netflix movie that like slips in. Mm-hmm. But I think if it's like this movie that's made today... I think it could be. I think it could be somewhat appreciated. It's hard because it fits into the time period really well. Right. And there's that emphasis there too of the psychology of the moment. And unless it's done like Lady Bird again, you have this Iraqi war world that they're growing into of the day. I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of sociopolitical elements that could be put in to replace for the modern day, but... Maybe not as well as what it does here. I just, now I'm so just distracted thinking about this movie and Lady Bird (laughs) and like (laughs) certain lines from each movie, like coming into the other one, like 
Linda Darnell's Laura May character, just thinking of her, like, saying certain lines from the movie, like, I just want to live through something, or don't be a Republican, like, her saying those things, I can absolutely (laughs) hear, and that's really funny. I can see Greta Gerwig definitely being a fan of this movie. Okay. Anyway, do you think there are any snubs, or do you feel like those three nominations, with two of them being wins, is enough? You know, I think those are three big ones, and for having two out of three wins, I think it's enough, only because we talked about the actors before and how hard that would have been. I guess I would still say Linda Darnell. Yeah, the nominations and wins are obviously good ones, but I would have made room for Linda Darnell, even in lead. I feel like there's plenty of room for her there. I would have kicked out, this is always fun. I think I would have kicked out Jean Crane for Pinky. Oh, you actually should watch My Foolish Heart. Yeah, wait, there there are a couple of really good um, good moments in that that you might like. Yeah, this is a tough year. So yeah, I would replace her co-star. Kick out Jean Crane for Pinky, put in Linda Darnell. That's good. Okay. And if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would you give it? Full disclosure, I plan on amending this question and allowing us to do multiple Oscars for All About Eve. <laughs> All 14. Yeah. For this one, I would give it Best Director. So I would give Joe Mankiewicz his first Best Director Oscar here. Like I mentioned before, I think the direction is really smart and why I love this film so much. What about you? I criticized this earlier, but I'm going to give it Best Screenplay. I think he does a good job of tackling this complex theme an idea and kind of playing with things, adapting it, obviously, but diving into the characters and the themes that he's introducing and the relationships pretty well between present day and between flashback and navigating everything fluidly. Time to move on to All About Eve. Description here, a seemingly timid but secretly ruthless ingenue insinuates herself into the lives of an aging Broadway star and her circle of theater friends. This stars Betty Davis, Ann Baxter, Celeste Holm, Thelma Ritter, and George Sanders. Also Marilyn Monroe. This received a record-breaking 14 Oscar nominations. The only two other films in history to have tied this record are Titanic and, most recently, La La Land. So those three films still have the record for most Oscar nominations at 14. And it won six Oscars. So it's wins. It won Best Picture director, adapted screenplay, supporting actor for George Sanders, costume design Black and White, the legendary Edith Head and Charles Lemaire, and sound recording. Other nominations, we had actress for Ann Baxter, actress for Betty Davis, supporting actress for Celeste Holm, supporting actress for Thelma Ritter, art direction Black and White, cinematography Black and White, film editing, and scoring of a dramatic or comedic picture by Alfred Newman, who is also the patriarch of the iconic Newman family, who's been nominated many times in the score category at the Oscars. This is also still the only film in history to have four women nominated in acting categories. Sometimes we can get three, but we've never had four, besides All About Eve. So you love All About Eve, too. What do you think about it? What do you like about it? Why do you think this is one of the best films of all time? Again, we have another very intriguing premise. 
I love how this movie starts out. The setup is slow and pretty elementary, but that's also what draws you in. You're introduced eventually to this character, Eve, who is literally on a pedestal. And right when she's about to grab the award, they stop and then we go back and learn the entire story. And the characters we meet in this Broadway life. So in this movie... Joe is basically the Addison character, putting himself in that perspective. And Joe later on, so back to like his actual story, he started his own production company in New York because he also wanted to write Broadway plays. And that never came to fruition. He kept working on movies. But I think that's an interesting way where this movie, again, explores that world that he always wanted to be in. But again, it might be Broadway, but it feels very much like any kind of entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. It is very much Hollywood. Betty Davis is playing herself in a way, like this Broadway actress, Hollywood actress, like anybody. She is larger than life and a gay icon. This is like, as we <laughs> end Pride Month, uh, a gay cult classic. And the women to me here are just so much more intriguing there's so much more to get from them part of that is from eve and how she plays this evil woman who comes in as you know the one who wants to meet the big broadway star and then slowly but surely tries to take over her life and in seeing that happen and all of the characters that get involved is just a fantastic very very complex drama there's just so much to break down from the quotes and what's happening to that final shot, which is just so, Mm -hmm. so fascinating and telling. And those final moments, we see Eve alone and everything that happens. It's, it's beautiful, deserves everything. How do you feel about this? What, what do you like about this most, I guess, if we narrow it down? Oh my God. Um, Oh, it's so hard to just pick one thing, but I really love when you have an incisive film about stardom in particular as someone who, you know, has grown up loving movies and loving pop culture and actors specifically and then film as a medium, theater, everything like that. This film, I think it serves as this commentary on the star system and what this cost, this high cost of being a star really is. It dives into the relationship between the press and the industry. And while it's beautiful and glamorous and sophisticated, it also shows just how ugly the system and the industry can be. So I think boiling that all down to one thing will kind of spoil my answer for later on, but it's just the writing. The writing is just so fantastic and holds up so well. This movie is a diamond, like it's the the most precious jewel you could ever find it is stronger and more beautiful now than it probably was in 1950 and I think the performances like you mentioned are just I mean what Betty Davis is doing here is I think it's the best performance of her career and this is a career that is stronger than I mean most living actors today most old Hollywood legends like she is she's it So (laughs) to say that you're talking about the best performance of someone like that's career, I mean, it better be strong. And I think part of that is because of, yeah, like you said, she's playing herself, but she's so smart about that. 
She knows what people think of her at the time. She knows what her place is in the industry as a woman who is afraid of, you know, having a younger ingenue come in and take her spot. Like that is a very real thing. And I feel like she plays that up so well. And we'll get to like more about her performance. But what I think is so funny about this movie is an Addison DeWitt quote that we have at the beginning where he says, he's talking about, you know, and we can laugh about this, where he says, and those awards presented by that film society, which Mm -hmm. is just funny when he references, of course, the Oscars. But he says, those minor awards are for such as the writer and director, as their function is merely to construct a tower so that the world can applaud a light which flashes on top of it. And what's funny mm. about that is that the actors didn't win for this movie. The They won the big ones. Like, Mank won for constructing the tower. So I think it's funny he put that in there, and then that's not what ended up happening at all. So I like that. Um, I love the Addison DeWitt character, of course. And, yeah, I think it's a perfect movie. I wouldn't change a thing about it, and I am so glad that it exists. I love it. It's one of my favorites of all time. So that you asked me for one thing, and I said, like, 20, but... That's fine, That's okay. I think. Yeah. Talking about some precursors, if you want to talk about that tower, this one at Cannes, BAFTA, DGA, Golden Globe, NBR, New York Film Critics Circle, PGA, and WGA, apart from the Oscars. So this was just like all season long. This is the it girl. We love her. <laughs> yeah. And then Broadway-wise, I thought this was some other fun fact that earlier on, This was turned into applause on Broadway with Lauren Bacall, who is later replaced by Ann Baxter. You talked about, too, like the beginning, how smart the beginning is. And you know right from the beginning, like this woman is winning this award, but you don't know the story. So getting into that flashback is so important. I learned that 20th Century Fox actually scheduled new new screening policies around this movie. And they specified that there could be no late seating it was to be run at designated times on a single bill so you couldn't see it with another movie you had to just watch it from start to finish on its own because that was partially because audiences at the time were so used to just coming and going from movie theaters whenever they pleased so you could just walk into a movie in the middle Mm -mm. if you wanted to and you didn't necessarily you know stay for the whole thing it was just that sort of entertainment so this only actually lasted a week, this experiment. But people give 20th Century Fox a lot of credit for this because this is what really, I think, changed viewing behavior and how theaters would program films because they didn't want people to miss the beginning because if you miss the beginning, you're going to be really confused about what's to come. I think, I mean, you can follow it, but that the beginning packs a great punch and you get that excellent voiceover, you you know what's coming, you meet Betty Davis's Margot Channing in just the the best way. They're smoking that cigarette and pouring her drink. You just mm-hmm. you we want to know everything about her. And yeah, so I thought that that was really cool. This movie changed the way that theaters thought about showing new films. It would probably be fine if you missed it, but there's more tension with that beginning Mm -hmm. because also apart from learning about everybody you see little things that each character does that fits into their personality so when everybody starts clapping for eve margo and karen don't clap they just Mm -hmm. kind of look and margo has this like evil stare on her face so you kind of learn then it's like oh what did eve do to them 
And that's part of what draws you in as well. And Addison has that like smirk, just looking, smoking his cigarette that he always does. And their relationship changes throughout the film too. And by the end, that flip is great. So seeing all of that and then seeing how it changes and then at the very end coming back to the beginning, it's a nice way to close that circle and come back and finalize Mm -hmm. everything. Right. I, I think too, when we're thinking about these performers and the performances there, everyone is just so, so good at the top of their game. And this movie, it is a celebration of these types of dramatic performances, but it's also an indictment of them. Like we are, we're celebrating these wonderful performances in front of our eyes, but this movie is also about performing. It's about performing to your friends, about performing to the people you work for and how you have to perform and put on a certain type of face or act in that industry in order to succeed and what can happen to you when that goes too far. So I really like that. I think it's a it's a deep, extraordinary layer to the movie. And I also want to talk quickly about Ann Baxter because I don't think she gets enough credit. I know she got an Oscar nomination for this, but Eve is so evil. Oh my God. Just some of her <laughs> facial expressions like they'll cut to. And I'm like, this woman. And it's funny because I, it's hard to remember now, like when I watched this for the first time, because I was definitely very young, but I can't remember a time watching it where I didn't despise Eve or like buy into her act. She, I think also just because of the type of performances and performers that I liked, I was always on. Betty Davis's Margot's side. So it was always very dubious of anything that Eve was doing. But the way that this performance unfolds throughout the movie is so smart and so scary. I would imagine that any other woman who plays a sort of character like this has looked at this movie and has looked at this performance before. Emma Stone in The Favorite. <laughs> um <laughs> which is certainly, yeah. I think, one of our mo- more recent comparisons to All About Eve. Um, even like Rosamund Pike and Gone Girl. I know I mentioned Gone Girl with A Letter to Three Wives, but yeah, I feel like Ann Baxter, she she does a really good job with that. I didn't realize All About My Mother from Almodovar was related to this as well. Obviously the title, but mm-hmm. I had never known it had a connection. So yeah, I probably will love that. I know you told me I would when you saw it recently. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you you have to watch it. Knowing that you love him, but also that you like All About Eve and Streetcar Named Desire, those are the Mm -hmm. movies that Pedro was definitely influenced Mm -hmm. by and that come about in the film in a very cool way. So you will, yeah, you'll definitely like it. Also another Pride-centric movie. So definitely (laughs) watch before June is over. And back to Anne's performance. I think she comes on to Bill before this, but her like first evil evil moment to me i mean that is very evil when she's in the dressing room and addison is watching but Uh when she's on the call trying to get lloyd to come save her because she's been sick and it's the roommate calling or someone from across the hall and she hangs up the phone and gives the okay to eve listening around the corner i was like oh my god that that was the most disturbing to me Yeah, I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Mine also that I just hate that she does really early on is when Bill and Margot are about to have this moment and you get this feeling that they're like saying goodbye, they're about to kiss. And I think it's one of the first evil or just uh, irritating things mm-hmm. that Eve does where she just interrupts them. Like she's just standing there, like seeing if they need help with anything. It's like, just go away. Like let these yeah. adults enjoy themselves and I don't know, let them have their moment. Stop being around. <laughs> it's so, so annoying to be watching it. Well, that's what she does best. She just snakes her way into every part of these people's lives. And Karen falls for it. Part of the fun is seeing who believes her and who doesn't. And the fact that Margot was right all along is almost just more pleasing to the end result. And seeing how the men interact with her, like how Bill isn't misguided when Eve does come on to her, I think is is pleasing, is satisfying for this relationship that you're rooting for with Margot and Bill. Since he's gone all the time and she's this Broadway actress and they just both have hard lives and they've been together forever and watching Eve come in here is yeah it's it's so rough I also think you know the Karen character like she Celeste Holm she believes Eve Mm -hmm. and when you're watching this you're just like oh no like please don't fall for this act like don't do this but she really just believes in the good in people and you can't really fault her for that but that's also something with you know, in that industry, you can't trust everyone. That's like one of the great lessons, I think, in the movie. But what I think is interesting and sad about the Karen character is that she is around because she's married to Lloyd Richards, who is this theater director. So her relationship to everything is because of her husband. And Addison points this out at one point he says nothing in her breeding should have brought her closer than row e (laughs) which just makes you feel sort of sorry for her because she's this good person who couldn't get into this industry like which again like that's another another layer to her character and the way that she's treated but it also makes it sort of makes sense like why she would be more open to eve because she got in there because of someone else like taking a chance on her or like pursuing a relationship with her. So I think she sees the value in that. And that's what kind of comes back to bite her by trusting in Eve. Yeah, Karen is quite a naive character, but that also makes her more sympathetic. And as a viewer, Mm -hmm. I think you're more drawn to her and you see this world through her eyes a bit more. And that also kind of plays with, you know, who is Eve? Is she good? Is she bad? And that keeps the gears kind of turning in your head, which is fun. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we also need to talk about Thelma Ritter, who is a joy Mm -hmm. in both of these movies. But here, she has like a very leading supporting role. And I love how much she hates Eve from the (laughs) get-go. Yes. (laughs) Later on, when she's in the bedroom at the party... Eve is walking out with a coat and Thelma opens the door and just walks right by her, almost like slamming the door in her face. And I love that. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) She just doesn't care. She sees right through it. And as this character who's been by Margot's side her whole career, she doesn't want anybody to get in there. And Eve starts to whittle away at that, trying to be her assistant instead. So seeing Birdie's responses and her acting, her lines are always amazing. 
Um, mm-hmm. I loved that. Yeah, I love Thelma Ritter as always. I'm happy she got a nomination here. Her performance as Birdie fits into her filmography very nicely. I feel like she always plays these characters who we can trust to deliver these very quippy lines and who we can trust as a viewer. Like she's sort of the the comedic relief sometimes, but also a voice of reason that's there. Thinking too, just even about her in like Rear Window, for example. But what's good about Birdie as a character, what I like about her is that you know that she's been around for a long time, right? She's older than these other characters. Presumably she has been by Margot's side this whole time. So she knows, right? She has a better understanding seemingly of people's behaviors and their motivations and why they will be doing what Eve's doing maybe better than anyone else there. But also two of the things we learn right away is that yes, like even though Margot is this like fabulous diva character who we love watching smoking her cigarettes and smirking, she has friends, right? Like we know right away, Karen is her friend. We know that Bertie is her friend and confidant. We know that she has support even if she can act like a child at times or a diva at times. She mm-hmm. has these support systems who are there for her ultimately when she falls. Eve doesn't have that. Eve is not interested in relationships that have any depth. She is only interested in herself. So that is another lesson there, right? That you do have to surround yourself by people who you can trust because ultimately, like when you do fall out of favor or when someone does something to you like Eve does to Margot, those people will be there for you. And if you're in hot water, like Eve is, and you only have Addison DeWitt, you're screwed. Like, you're you're going to have a really miserable, lonely existence for the rest of your days, just clinging to your Oscar or your trophy. <laughs> um, so Betty Davis does thank Joe Mankiewicz for this kind of reigniting her career in Hollywood. She, of course, had plenty of success before this, but this really sort of put her back on the map as, like, the premier dramatic actress but there are a lot of other people considered for this role which i thought was very interesting because i can only see her in this part now but mankowitz originally wanted susan hayward so we mentioned her being nominated the year before but xana thought she was too young marlena dietrich was too german apparently but i also cannot see her in this role even though i also love her barbara stanwick is a really interesting choice here and i think she could have pulled it off she was not available. And of course, because I have to mention, I love all of the Joan Betty drama from the time mm-hmm. <laughs> that Joan Crawford was also considered. And I do think she would have been good. Before Betty. Yeah. Just, it would have been funny <laughs> to see her in this role, especially because later what brought Betty Davis back was whatever happened to baby Jane. Yeah. With Joan. Mm. But it's fun to imagine Joan Crawford in the role, even though I still would very much be team Betty Davis getting it. I think any of those would have been good. I mean, they're they're all huge A-list actresses. I think Marlene above any of the others. But I think Betty has a good side of dramatic and scaling it back to that plays the best here. Yeah. And like also Tallulah Bankhead, Ingrid Bergman, like Betty Davis was far down the list, which is just so yeah, weird. Yeah, that's crazy. Because when I think of her... I think specifically of All About Eve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And just quickly, while we're thinking about casting, Jean Crane was originally supposed to be Eve, who was in, of course, A Letter to Three Wives. Hmm. But I think Ann Baxter does great work here. So I feel like the cast that we got is really strong. It's very strong, yeah. So we have some more Twitter questions about All About Eve. David Metzger asks, Is this the greatest year for screenplay ever with two outstanding winners, All About Eve and Sunset Boulevard? Amazing that two competing, seething, behind-the-curtain dramas that are also two of the greatest screenplays ever written could mercifully both be honored. I say yes. Both of these movies are two of my favorites of all time. Incredible screenplays. And I know we have talked about a Billy Wilder episode for a very long time. Maybe that is coming. Who knows when, but it's coming. But yeah, I think this, this is the greatest year. It's certainly better than our most recent year of screenplay winners. That's for sure. This is funny because when I was talking, I had to look back for a second because I almost called her Norma. <laughs> I was like, Wait. <laughs> that is not her name. <laughs> but I'm looking back through all the screenplay winners now. I feel like you love 74 through 76, which goes Chinatown and Godfather Part 2. Ooh. Dog Day Afternoon and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and then Network and All the President's Men. Oh, God. Wow. Um, Those okay. are three I... strong years. <sighs> okay, now you're really... This is a problem. Because I truthfully didn't look. I was just like, yeah, all about Eve, Sunset Boulevard. Nothing can be better than that. Um, ooh. I can list some more. I still haven't seen Thelma and Louise, but that was 1991 with The Silence of the Lambs. Okay, no, I wouldn't pick that one. The Piano and Schindler's List in 1993. Also good, but no. Usual okay. Suspects and Sense and Sensibility, 95. No. the Those, the 70s years are really those good. Those are really good, yeah. Chinatown Godfather Part Two, like that, ooh, wow. <laughs> That's like, I think I would still go all about Eve Sunset Boulevard by the tiniest of margins, but I do think those two films are more well-directed. But if we're talking screenplay, I actually think Network All the President's Men might be a better pair for writing. Because you have this incredibly prescient satire in Network and one of my favorite screenplays ever by William Goldman, one of my favorite writers in All the President's Men. So I might be tempted to pick that one, but no. Okay, I'm going to say this year is still the best. 1950. <laughs> I knew it would be tough. That's so hard. These wow. are all very good. Yeah. I would stick with this year, too. Sunset Boulevard is one of my favorite movies of all time, too. Billy Wilder mm-hmm. in general. Love him. These two scripts, they have so many similarities. And with these two icons, they're incredible. I love to revisit some of his Sunset Boulevard, Double Indemnity. We do have to cover the apartment at some time. My favorite year recently would be 2017 with get out and call me by your name but it still doesn't match this yeah that's a good year but i think too like i wouldn't have given get out original but that that's definitely the the best year in recent memory for sure call me by your name what a lovely lovely adaptation okay next question comes from isabel (laughs) Which All About Eve character do you think the other person is most like? For example, Sophia is Nick Amargo, Karen Eve, Addison DeWitt, and vice versa. (laughs) Thank you, Isabel, for your creativity. Yeah, this is a great, great creative question. 
Um, for you, <laughs> I I really think you're probably a Karen. Like, I don't think you're naive like Karen, but I think you really do see the best in people. Like, I, I think that when someone screws you over or someone proves that they're really bad, like, you don't like them and they're gone. But I think that you you definitely see the best in people right away. And that's a good quality to have. I think you're right. <laughs> that's all very true. <laughs> I was going to say that about myself. I was trying to think about who I was. I feel like this is the harder one now. <laughs> I think Isabel's a Karen, too. 100 a Karen. <laughs> I mean, I would say you're definitely at least partially Margot. Yeah. <laughs> you're committed. You command a space. I don't think you necessarily get blackout drunk and listen to the same song on the piano four times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> the same sad song. But I think you're in tune with your emotions People love being around you. They love to go to your parties. And she understands people. She knows what to expect from Bill and what he should be giving her in return. Their relationship Um, is very relatable to me. Okay. So that works. There's a part in the movie, the line, the gong rang, the fight's over, calm down. (laughs) Which is also me. Like I definitely, sometimes I don't know when to back down, which is a a flaw. (laughs) I love a psychotic, an incredible line from Margot. Happy <laughs> cancer season. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she does have the best lines, and I do relate to a lot of her reactions. Mm-hmm. And knowing that I'm a Margot and you're Karen, I can't go on any road trips with you anytime soon. <laughs> you might <laughs> take the gas out of the car. <laughs> There's a little psychotic in her, too, so I can kind of relate to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But you do have Addison's love for sports, too. When he goes, don't cry, just score it as an incomplete forward pass. <laughs> when he's talking killer to killer. Yes. I love that at that the end. That is so true. I also, there was an Addison line this time that I really related to, which I'm always like, oh my God, when he says something and I relate to it, that's like a, that's a red flag. But when he's talking to Margot about seeing Eve in her performance, he says, I've lived in the theater as a Trappist monk lives in his faith. I have no other world, no other life. And once in a great while, I experienced that moment of revelation of which all true believers wait and pray. And that describes like, criticism and like hmm. being in love with certain forms of entertainment so well. That's the feeling when I know I'm seeing a new movie. That's the that's the feeling I hope for every time. So I feel like that line really captures that so well. Mm-hmm. When you wish you have. Yes, exactly. One that you want, but one that you rarely, rarely yes. get. <laughs> like, it's not something that happened when I saw Elvis. <laughs> so how do you think today's Academy would receive this movie? I think this is still a banger. This still hits probably doing better I think if you remake this, which who knows if they ever will. I mean, there are adaptations galore, but and probably nobody wants to even try to attempt to remake because of how well this did. But if they did, it would be someone huge directing this. Like this is only Mm -hmm. being given to Steven Spielberg. Yeah, I think it's safe to say we don't want this remade. Yeah. But who who would you want to remake it if someone had to? That's a tougher question. Or someone who knows Broadway, knows acting, knows Hollywood, 
Even someone like Barry Jenkins. Yeah. Even make it as like an indie. People would go crazy for Greta Gerwig's All About Eve. Mm-hmm. I mean, if yeah, a female director doing this would be better. But it is hard because I think you do want someone who's been around the industry a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. T- forget forget. I asked that because we don't want it anyway. <laughs> so hard. I mean, even Jane Campion, I don't know. Like, that's just so different. Jane Campion, it's a I mean, I, I love Jane Campion, mm-hmm. but she, she needs to be outside. <laughs> it is all internal spaces, yeah. Yeah, interiors. like meaner inside. Yeah, and interiors. She needs to be out in nature. Mm-hmm. Well, listeners, let us know. I think today's Academy would still receive this really well. I think if we're just thinking of similar films, like The Favorite, which I mentioned already, that did really well with the Academy. So do you think there were any snubs? It said 14, so there aren't many snubs available. <laughs> I do think there are snubs with winners. I don't think there are snubs with nominations. Like I feel like 14, that is what it deserves. Like 14 nominations, give it more if you can, but I mean, you really can't this is sort of it okay if we're thinking of best actress in 1950 i have gone back and forth on this so many times and maybe if i watch sunset boulevard tomorrow my answer will go back to being gloria swanson for sunset boulevard but after this watch of all about eve i really think betty davis is the best in the category and i would have given her another one here well so this was judy holiday's only win for Born Yesterday, and she had performed this on stage. So I feel like this was a long time coming. Is that how you see this? I'll say first, like, I'm not Aaron Sorkin. I'm not going to shade Judy Holiday like he did in Being the Ricardos, which made no sense in that screenplay. I actually think Judy Holiday is great in Born Yesterday, and it's a really tough comedic performance. And she pulls it off. I think she's great. And in Inside Oscar, I read that most people were expecting Judy Holiday to win. So even though everyone loved All About Eve and it had so many nominations, most people were expecting her to win. So I actually don't have a huge issue with this. I think it's a really strong year for Best Actress at the Oscars. And we love when that happens, when you have mm-hmm. five strong performances in the category. I... Also, don't totally buy the vote splitting myth that Ann Baxter and Betty Davis split votes um, leading to Judy Holiday's win. Because, one, it wouldn't have made sense, I think, for Ann Baxter to be in supporting. I do think she would have won in supporting, but she actually campaigned really hard to get the lead placement for the studio to run her in lead, which is sort of funny because you could. If you buy vote splitting, you could think like, oh, Eve is taking Margot's Oscar away, right? <laughs> she's splitting. She's pulling votes away yeah. from her. And part of the reason why Judy Holiday won. But yeah, it certainly mixes up the formula. But I still think Judy Holiday would have won. And I think if you're looking at the actress's names, I feel like you're voting for Betty Davis regardless. Eve's name is in the title. Yes, but I feel like everybody would have seen this movie to the point that that doesn't matter. But It's definitely like Betty and Gloria fighting for Judy's win. It's hard because if I were voting at the time, it would have been between Betty Davis for All About Eve and Gloria Swanson for Sunset Boulevard. I'm going to stay away from my comments on Gloria Swanson because one day we will cover Sunset Boulevard and I'll have plenty to say then. But Betty Davis 
this movie we've mentioned it's all about performances it's all about performing and she does this so well she gets it she gets it better than anybody else she goes back and forth from drama to this like hamlet thing that birdie makes fun of her for to childishness to sadness it's really beautiful stuff i think what she does here and when we think about betty davis you think a lot about ego you think about her being a diva at the time you think about the feuds that she had and she certainly had feuds on the set like she and celeste holm did not get along um (laughs) but she knows who she is here and she's willing to play into that and make fun of herself a little bit and i think that that's that's hard for big stars to do even just thinking about how she's played so many mean southern women before like her role here is is similar to others that she's had um her stage role mm-hmm. yeah i think it, it requires like a certain level of self-awareness that people doubted that she had which is fun to watch mm-hmm. the lines all the lines are amazing i think she should have won that's my answer today at 4 30 p.m yeah i don't know about snubs in terms of winning definitely give one of them supporting actress over josephine hall and harvey I mean, yes, you could put Anne in there, but I think she's lead for sure. Probably Celeste Holm. I would give her the win. I mean, it's great that Sunset Boulevard won a few. I, it won art direction, set decoration over All About Eve, and another rare year where each acting category had a nomination for Sunset Boulevard. Mm. So it also holds some other feats that I think are pretty impressive, but it had so many wins. I mean, I... It doesn't have to win everything, but I am happy with its six wins. Yeah, I do love the George Sanders win. It's great. He has such an amazing voice. Ugh. Mm -hmm. He, like, if he were around today, he would be on the Calm app, like, reading (laughs) reading people books before they went to bed. (laughs) And if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? So how many are we allowed now? Besides picture, because it's obviously winning picture. Okay, so let's do two then. Let's do, if we're saying picture, let's pick one more. Oh, okay. Well, then I have to go director. Joseph's direction here is just impeccable. The way he captures everybody, everything, all the drama, setting it up right, the way it plays out, everything. Like you said, it's a perfect movie. The lines are there. I know that's screenplay, but the way he can adapt a work and direct his own work I think that shows that he had like this omniscient presence to the entire stage. It's yeah, well-deserved and gosh, I would give more probably editing and Betty and oof costume. Definitely. I mean, the way Marilyn Monroe shows up just walking up the steps and yeah. Oh Mm -hmm. (laughs) God. The costumes are so fabulous and yes, they're Edith head, which means of course they're going to be, beautiful but yeah they're they are stunning i in addition to picture for everything i said about betty davis i would go with screenplay like the screenplay how many lines have we quoted today Mm -hmm. from this screenplay and screenplay of course like it's not just the quotes or the dialogue it's it's everything it's the way that the story unfolds and i think just a couple more so i know we said fasten your seatbelts is going to be a bumpy night that is the that's the key that's the one people think of. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to read a couple more that are my favorites. <laughs> so this is the quote I was going to say is why you'd probably say that I was Marco because I would say this 100% to you in real life. 
Bill's 32. He looks 32. He looked at five years ago. He'll look at 20 years from now. I hate men. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. And then just some lesser known ones too. Like (laughs) I love when she says those little beasts that run around in packs like coyotes and then about the people outside the theater. And then she says about Eve, the mousy one with the Mm -hmm. trench coat and funny hat. Yeah. Yeah, She's outside. (laughs) I'll admit I have, I may have seen better days, but I'm still not to be had for the price of a cocktail, like a salted peanut. Oh my God. So good. I love the screenplay. There's one more. I don't know if this is Addison or Margot, but it got, so I couldn't tell the real from the unreal, except that the unreal seemed more real to me. Oh, yeah, that's really good. I think that's Addison. I think it sounds so, like yeah. Addison. Yeah. He has so, so many good ones. And then we got some other questions talking about both of these movies. So first one from Owen Daly again. Whose female cast is greater, the nominated women of All About Eve or the unnominated women of A Letter to Three Wives? Well, I love the women in A Letter to Three Wives. This was very easy for me. I will say All About Eve. Ann Baxter, Celeste Holm, Thelma Ritter, Betty Davis, of course, Marilyn Monroe. Same answer. Our next question is from Gabe Guarin. In what ways are All About Eve and A Letter to Three Wives similar? How are they different? Similarly, I love how they both address this trauma that has happened in a sense and how they go about resolving and understanding it it's quite involved which is why i think joseph won both of these awards both of these years i think those both relate with how it's perceived and shown very well and again it's done from this female perspective which i really like in both of them they're both addressing this like evil person who's here to cause chaos. And <laughs> I guess differently, it's it's how they deal with that. And in a letter, it's very separately. They're delving into their past to kind of figure out who they are as a person. And then with All About Eve, it's their collective presence on this stage as actors, as this sort of family that they're all interconnected. Not that they all start to distrust each other, but Eve is there trying to disrupt their lives and separate them. And it's like, how much Mm -hmm. can they stick together, trust each other, trust what they've built together? Yeah. Similarities. I mean, just the big things for him, the use of flashback, the use of voiceover, the depiction of female friendship, I really love. And... He loves threes. There are three three women at the center of both of these. So that's interesting. Three's a magic number for him. And then final Twitter question from Owen. If both films were released in the same year, would Mank have lost because of split voting? I think All About Eve still would have won. I mean, I think if you put them against each other, I don't necessarily think a vote split happens because I think they're different enough. But All About Eve, I do think is... And the Academy agreed is just stronger. So I feel like in, and because it's a comment, it's a commentary on the industry. I feel like it would have come out on top still definitely would have happened. I think in 49, so it depends on the year too. That's interesting, but I still, I don't think, I don't think necessarily a vote split happens. I think all about Eve still wins. Oh, absolutely. I think over the two, definitely all about Eve. I mean, maybe in some of these categories, if it were 1950, Sunset Boulevard 
would come on top. But at this point, we're only talking about picture, director, screenplay for possible categories. Mm-hmm. And I would give all three of those to All About Eve if I had to. So there's really no question there. And I feel like that's either year I would do that. I agree. Well, we did it. We tackled <laughs> these two back-to-back winning films from Joe Mankiewicz, A Letter to Three Wives and All About Eve. I can't believe we actually covered All About Eve. We did it after two years of wanting to. <laughs> Another Oscar Wilde favorite checked off. Mm-hmm. Many more to go. And next time on Oscar Wilde, we've talked about doing this movie trade for a really long time. You know, we all have directors that we love that the other person doesn't love as much or maybe struggles with. And for the next episode, we each picked one of our favorite directors that we know the other person struggles with. And we picked the one movie that we think they might like that we really love. So for my pick... I am assigning Nick Three Women by Robert Altman. I'm sticking with the theme of Joe Mankiewicz with Three Women Again. This time, (laughs) I can't tell you anything about this movie, but I, I think it's possible that you'll like this. I might be heartbroken if you don't. That's okay. I'm expecting the worst. But I do think this definitely inspired people like Darren Aronofsky who you really like. So I'm hoping that this will be a successful watch for you. I was going to say, is this the one that changes me? (laughs) I mean, I do want to see the player and shortcuts from Altman too. So not all hope is lost. Right. But I wasn't going to give you McCabe. I thought about it for a second and then I was like, no, Western might be a really hard sell. So Mm -hmm. three women it is. Yeah. (laughs) And I am going with one of Denis Villeneuve's films here. I know you've seen most of them. I'm going to hope that maybe this one is inspiring to you too. This is Prisoners from 2013. This was nominated for cinematography at the Oscars. One of my favorites. It's a beautiful, very disturbing film. Great final shot. Obviously, Roger Deakins. Amazing. So I hope you like this too. I'm excited to give it a try. I have before, but it was just a timing thing. I saw the runtime and I just said, I will do this another time. And now is that time. So I'm excited to watch it. I've heard good things. And yeah, maybe maybe this will be a good one for me. So we both picked very disturbing movies. Just a warning for the listeners. Like get ready for, I think, just some possibly confusing, mind-bending watches at least on my end so (laughs) i was gonna say i don't know if there are parallels here what the connection is we'll have to decipher that next week (laughs) yeah i mean you said disturbing so i was like okay we're in because mine is mine's a bit um unsettling as well so three women you can i know it's available to rent um it's also on criterion so if you want to watch that i highly recommend checking it out before our next episode and These are also some of our favorites on our Letterboxd lists, so we might be playing a little Letterboxd-related game, too, that we played many moons ago on our Letterboxd theme episode. And Prisoners, Letterboxd currently says it's on Hulu, which is great, so you can watch that as well in preparation. I'm excited. I can't wait. I'm glad we did these two today. More of Hollywood and Oscars Finest under our belt 
and I'm ready to tackle more the rest of this year. We have a lot coming. If you liked our pod, feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Oscar Wilde Pod. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.